The bald fat man is Jeff. In the wild, Jeff preys upon fast food and mounting dew. Each new morning, he surprises himself that he survived another day. The dark-hair-bearded fellow is Garrett. His spreadsheets are a way of survival, and his opinions are fine. Just fine. Together, the Jeff and the Garrett form the Give em Hell Brigham podcast. Despite their lack of tangible skills or noticeable intelligence, they not only survive together, they thrive together. So strap in, folks. Things are about to get weird. A new episode of GEHB starts right now. Jeff, it is game day, but we are here for the people. Later than either of us had hoped. Yeah. This this season has just felt very a lot more clunky than our first two seasons of the show. And yeah, it's felt like that on the field too. Like there is some uh there's some resemblance there. It, it is. But, it is clunky. It's our fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's us. It's it's having real jobs, living yeah. in different time zones. Yeah. Our jobs don't always match up because you deal with more people that are like further east. And most of my people that I deal are like for the West. And so it's right. not even just like, oh, yeah, we have a job, but we can carve this out during lunch. It's like always you have a lot of meetings during lunch because that's the afternoon for a lot of the people that you work with because they're on the East Coast. And I don't have that. And so it's hard to get things, you know, and I've got meetings with people in Australia and London a bunch often. And so it's like I got to deal with like those time zones. And so it's hard for us to carve out and especially with the launch of your new product at your bank. You've been, as you've been, you know, you've gone from henchman to boss man mm. at the bank mm-hmm. in many ways. Well, and so that it's your, your life is busier. It's in that, your real job, that desirable place of middle management. You know, that's where everybody really wants to be where you're still a henchman, but you have to be like, pretend to be a boss guy too. You know, like that's, that's the real sweet spot. That's the sweet spot. And but that's where I live. That's where we live. And that's where in I we were going to record earlier this week. I've been in New Orleans all week. I have no idea why people like living here or yeah. coming here. Like, so food, the, the French quarter is nice and the food is great, but literally the entire rest of the city. So I, on Thursday, one of my, so one of my old coworkers uh, who works for, we both work for different companies now. He was at the same conference I am. So Thursday, we rented a car and drove to Alabama to go to the South Alabama Troy game because I we are college football degenerates. And fun time, fun stadium. I actually, it, it kind of made me sad because it's like, this is the vibe of college football of like, this is your local team, your hometown team. Like, you know, lots of kids running around. Like it almost felt like a really, really big high school game, yeah. which feels small times in a lot of ways. But then also that's why people like college football because it's like you went to school there or like, you know, you remember watching five or 10 kids from your local high school that are now playing there. Like it feels a lot more closer to home. Um, so that was a great time, even though they lost whatever. Um, but other than like when we were driving back, we accidentally got off the freeway one exit too early for going to downtown where our hotel is. And it felt like I was in a third world country. It was terrifying. And so we had to drive around for gas and there was like, I'm not getting out of my car here. Nope, I'm not doing that. Like, there was literally one gas station. We pulled up and parked next to the tank. Or like, 
parked next to the pump. A guy pulled into the parking lot. I saw him get out of his car and put on like a full faced beanie. Like one of the ones that you were hunting that like literally like just has the eyes and walk into the store. And I just like got back in the car. I was like, nope, we're going to go drive around and find a different one. I don't know, man. Those big cities are all, they're all scary, you know? And it kind of tells you how lucky we all are. Most of us listening to this. So this is true. Cities are scary for sure. It's true. And it's if I could totally see how, if you grew up and it was like the, with how bad and run down the buildings were in like beat up the house where we were, one, obviously, there's no excuse to treat your stuff like that or other people's stuff like that. But if that's what you grew up and that's all you saw all day, every single day, I could see how you'd see the world a little bit differently. Oh, yeah. No question. But moving on, we are not going to do our usual antics today. We're just going to jump right in to talking about the game because it is already 10, 11 a.m. Central Time. Mm. Or Mount, yeah. And there's you know we got to get this out we got to give you time to listen while you're mowing your lawn before the game whatever you're doing this morning no lawn mowing in utah we have rain for the first time in you know many many moons so Mm, who prayed for moisture last week yeah somebody Um, but the i think the the hot topic on everybody's mind yeah it's the defense right there have been rumors flying there have been uh you know some semi formidable rumors some ridiculous rumors you know there's rumors about recruiting and what happened with a visit and that now BYU is doomed because of a single game people so maybe let's start with what do you okay what do you want to start with i think you have something in your beard do you have something in your beard yeah it's white hair what yes i've had oh. that since i was like 16 Wow. I've never noticed. It, and it looks like toothpaste. You're not the first person in the morning who's asked me, who's like, oh, you have some toothpaste out there. I'm like, nope, it is white. That goes out of the corner of my mouth. Okay. I don't even know what the question was. I was dis- I was distracted so, by the toothpaste hair. We, uh, no, so we want to talk about uh, all recruiting being completely ruined based ah, on yeah. one event that happened yeah. or just like we look so bad that none of none of the people who were there will ever want to do this like every recruits based yeah. on one game going to say no because we got our asses handed to us by Arkansas. I think this is the best way to handle this, Garrett. I have been on a crusade this week of just I don't want to say dispelling rumors because some things are true, but I have been on a crusade to bring all of us back into reality because it's important that we live in reality. And so I think that maybe what we need to do, actually, here's what I I need you to filibuster. I've got to get ready for this. You filibuster. Give me, give me 60 seconds. Okay. I will filibuster for 60 seconds. Oh, Jeff is getting off of his bed. He, the computer is down. I have no, I am very worried about this. Um, but just in general, kids, like one single game, it doesn't make or break our fandom and it doesn't make or break recruiting for the kids, right? Like we still, after the 2017 season, how awful it was, we still went out and got Zach Wilson and a host of other really great players. And that was a very successful class after our worst season in forever because the, um, okay. because even though, you know, it didn't matter that we were horrible in 2017. 
recruiting is way bigger than just the on-field performance. And you can always, always, always sell. You will be better than these guys. You have the talent. You can come in and play and contribute right away. And you will be the guy that turns it around. So like one game of getting destroyed is not going to change things. I feel like you need to screenshot this or something just to like let people know what we're doing. But, but I have brought my all seeing fortune telling hat out. And I think the best way to handle this, I appreciate the filibuster, by the way, no idea what you were saying, but I agree. And I think that the most important thing, or I think the best way to handle this now going forward for the rest of the show, Garrett, you become the presenter of the argument. And then I, the all-knowing, what do we call me? What, I mean, what, what does this make you think of? I don't know. But me, like- the, the, the all-knowing Balthazar will tell what is true and what is not. Okay. I think that's the way to do this. So you start wherever you want to start. We can talk about football. We can talk about recruiting. Talk about whatever the hell you want. You okay. start. We will consult the fortune-telling hat. There's a lot of stuff going on in here. I feel very okay. big brain in this. Uh, so I will I will consult, and we will discuss and find the truth that brings us back to reality. Okay, I actually like this. Okay, uh, number one, there was an issue with a highly touted prospect, so he got mad and left the game early. Consulting, there was an issue. Yes, there was an issue. There was a, a mix up with some seats. So I think the way that this works is is for, for context, right? Recruits aren't getting like tickets the same way you and I do, right? They don't get assigned seats generally. They get a number of tickets and they're allowed into the stadium. And that's good and that's bad. But when there's a number of different visitors, what that sometimes lends itself to is a little bit of chaos behind the bench as, as people try to find seats. Now, other schools assign seats out. They assign specific tickets. But we run into the situation, not we, but society football runs into the situation that, uh, if you remember Ty Jones, that he wanted Utah tickets a few years ago. And the only tickets that were left were like clear up on the top row. And he went to Twitter with that. And it was a big to-do about how he had bad seats. BYU doesn't assign specific seats. Uh, they just have like a recruit designated area. That is also kind of intermingled with some player families and some coaches' families. And it's all sort of a big, it's like sacrament meeting, right? Like sacrament meeting, there are some benches that if you're a visitor, you just kind of stay away from because those benches are established that the, there's always, you know, the Johnsons are always going to be sitting there. So Saturday, a lot of recruits come for the Arkansas game. It's a big game. There's some chaos in the seating section. Recruit inadvertently sits in a spot that is typically designated for a coach's family. There was a conversation. It wasn't great. I don't think it was handled particularly well, but I don't think it was the end of the world. The recruit ended up leaving the game early to get to the Utah game, which was already you know previously scheduled. That's it. I mean, that, that that's the story. That story will be a non-factor in this recruit's decision. Now, whether or not they pick BYU, like that's, you know, totally outside of what happened on Saturday. What this rumor has, if you haven't heard this rumor, there's the rumor. And if it sounds stupid, it's kind of stupid. This rumor has grown into like, 
I don't know, like the, the, the mascot for everything that is wrong with society and everything that is wrong with BYU. I got a feeling if that exact same scenario happened maybe the week of the Baylor game, we wouldn't have heard anything about it. But when things are going bad, people love to make little negative things, massive negative things. And it seems like that's what's happened here. Now, like I say, this recruit may or may not end up picking BYU. Probably not at this point. But it doesn't have anything to do with with ticket gate, seat gate. I don't know what to call it. Some sort of a gate. And that is what Big Brain Balthazar has to say about that. Amen. Okay, next question. Um, recruits do not <clears throat> do not want to come to BYU. Defensive recruits do not want to come because the scheme is bad and they don't want to play f- for that. Uh, this is a good question because this has come up a lot. I asked somebody who's very, very connected, very, very connected this week, and I was pretty blunt in my question. Normally, you kind of dance around topics, but I was yeah. pretty blunt in how this question was phrased. And I said almost almost verbatim what you just said. Hey, man, feels like there's a lot of, lot of problems with the scheme. There's a lot of questions with the coaching staff. I'm nervous. The response, point blank, was there's no reason to be nervous. And I said, I don't know if I buy that. That just feels like a deflection. No, there's no reason to be nervous. Trust me. I also have heard there was a there were some some players. Maybe this adds some context. There were some players. I don't remember if it was players. Maybe it was family. I don't know. Somehow I heard you guys. You know I'm connected to Ogden. Uh, somebody reached out to a, a Weber State coach, and I don't know. Like I say, I don't know if it was a BYU player, if it was a, a family member, but but somebody related to or close to a player, and reached out to a Weber State coach who's connected to a lot of things at BYU. And said, "Hey, man, what what do you think of what's going on down here? What do you need? You know, what what what's happening? What should we do? We're a little bit nervous. What do we do?" And that Weber State coach said, "Ah, no problem, man. Big changes are coming. Don't worry about it." So, like, coaching circles are tight knit. Polynesian circles are tight knit. Polynesian coaching circles are especially tight knit. So it doesn't, you know, shouldn't be super shocking that a Weber State coach might, you know, have heard a few things in the coaching circles. Some big changes coming. We're going to see those big changes, I think, today, this afternoon. We're going to see a lot of what those are. But uh, suffice to say, I think recruiting is going to be fine. Now, having said that, could there be a couple of guys in this class that maybe make a decision one way or the other? Yeah, absolutely. But those kids were going to make decisions one way or the other either way. It's not an end-of-time situation here, right? It's, it's not that. We've talked about this class for the last several weeks. Things look great. It's been better than it usually is. That's all still true. All those guys are still committed. So there's not a lot of reason to freak out. Maybe it's not going to be as elite as we hoped, but it's certainly better than it's been and the best that it's been in a while. Okay. Um, Other um, next question. The entire defensive coaching staff was fired this week. And Kalani Sataki is personally doing everything on the defense. Ooh. Uh, no, nobody was fired this week. Nobody. They will all, all those same coaches will still be there uh, today. I guess on, not on Saturday. Today is Saturday. Kalani will be running a lot of this defense. 
period. So there's a shuffling of the deck. A shuffling of the deck. And I don't think Kalani's the kind of guy who's... If the defense comes out and forces... You know, maybe they generate three turnovers. Uh, maybe they hold team like Liberty under 150 yards. Maybe they simplify the defense so that players can fly around with confidence. If they do those three things, uh, I can promise you that Kalani is not going to come out and say, yeah, I'm the coordinator now. Look how great it is. He's going to deflect and give all of that praise to his assistant coaches. That's just the kind of person Kalani Satake is. But ladies and gentlemen, he's running this defense. He's running the show. Things are going to look dramatically different today. That is what the all-knowing Balthazar has to say about that. Um, Another question. The defense, as previously, since things will be different today, as previously uh, constituted, uh, they did the same thing every single play, and that was the problem. No. In fact, quite the opposite. The There's been a, a misconception that because the problems are the same this year, right, that talent, hockey subs, like talent not being on the field as a result of hockey subs, inability to stop the run, uh, giving up points, long drives – because there, there's been this misconception that because those problems are the same problems right now that BYU had a year ago, that BYU obviously is just running things the exact same way. And that, my friends, is categorically false. BYU is running more man defense than I've ever seen BYU run. Uh, the big complaint last year was that it was always a three-man front and eight people in coverage primarily, I mean, there's still some three-man fronts, but BYU's running a lot more four-man fronts. And when they do run a three-man front, it's because the defensive end is lined up in a rush package as a Mike linebacker. He rarely drops into coverage. I mean, so for all intents and purposes, that's a four-man front. Just one of the guys is a free rusher coming out and, and standing up, right? BYU's doing things very differently than they did a year ago. It isn't working, but that doesn't mean that they're not trying to do something differently. Um, everybody wanted adjustments. You know, it's been this weird thing that some people are saying, it's like some people more care. It seems they care more about being right in their argument than they care about what they're arguing. That it's like, well, I don't want coaches fired, but I, I would have demanded more changes. Well, there were a ton of changes. And at some point you're asking coaches to do something that they're not comfortable doing. Like that's, it, it's, you're a data guy, right? If I go and I ask you to be the controller Probably not going to work out so well. And maybe you could figure it out, but certainly there's other controllers who could do things better, right? So cramming a different philosophy down this defensive staff's throats, that's not who they are. They want to run their philosophy. And we're seeing, I think, through, what is it, seven games now? It didn't work. The changes that they made did not work this year. Well, and something that has kind of surfaced up uh, from people that we know who have talked to various players or conversations with players that they're one of the more major complaints is that there are too many adjustments going on week to week from this defensive staff where it is very much like, which it's harder to see on defense because everything is reactionary and much less, much less deliberate. Right. But it is very much like the 2012 offense. Yeah. I guess 2011, but I was I didn't watch that season. I was on Russian. But like where we had Dome in there and there was no offensive identity. It felt like every week we were trying something different to figure out anything that worked. 
And the, a lot of defensive players actually said, like, what we are trying to do every week, like, there is no bread and butter, right? Like, in any, in any system, you may have, like, your base defense that you're tweaking, or in football terms, tagging, like, some various thing, but you're running your base system, like, 70% of the time. But then you have that whole other playbook for the situational things when you want to take the risk because you need to dial up something different, but the you know the position mastery isn't there and you mix those in. But with us, it's like whatever that 60% is not the same week to week to week. It's like if there's 10 different options. Week one, we ran option one 60% of the time and then sprinkled in the other nine. But then week two, we ran option three 60% of the time. And so just having that consistency, which is, I mean, we see all the time. How many times this season, besides the hockey subs, have we seen guys standing around pointing, helping each other get lined up before, and then the ball is and they're looking, they're flat-footed, feet together, looking to the side, and then they see – like a linebacker looks and he sees the corner start dropping back and then turns his head and is like, oh, we're going. Right? Yeah. That happens all the time. Yeah. And so it's quite the – I think it's actually like quite the opposite that we're changing too many things both on the field and the players that are on the field for people to develop consistency and yes. getting the reps to become masters at their position, which we cannot afford – to do with given the talent that we have like given the talent we have the the top end of that talent is good enough to compete with everybody if they all do their job and don't try to go out of the system but when that talent is only on the field for 60 percent of the time instead right. of the 85 90 percent of the time that they are other schools keep their starters on the field on defense then you are not developing. I mean, think about it. If that's 25% difference, 30% difference, seven games into the season, right? Like that's basically all of our starters have missed two games because of just being subbed out that two games worth of reps being subbed out that they would have gotten at other schools. And, and and you, you nailed it on the head. I think Garrett, that there's too much going on with this defensive scheme. Right. I mean, it isn't as simple as people think it is. The results aren't good because there's so much going on. It's I I was before, you know, the COVID hit and I had to leave but Las Vegas early. By the way, our episode last week got flagged because of COVID information. Did you see that? Oh, uh, now we're flagged. you said the C word, so we're gonna get flagged again. I know, we're gonna get flagged again because the, the robots are listening. Uh but before all of that happened and I had to leave Las Vegas early. I went to Andiamo Steakhouse. New steakhouse. I'd never been to it. I don't think it's new. I think it's been there for a while. But it's off the strip a little bit. It's on the other side of Vegas. Uh, I can't remember what the casino is. Like Casino B or something. But like over by the Golden Nugget on that area of Las Vegas. And Oh, it's in the D. The D. Ah, wrong. You, want, you wanted the D. I did. Well, I wanted the D for Andiamo. Not okay. that D. Obviously, I meant the D in the middle of a word. Anyway, it was the best steak I've ever had. I've been to great steakhouses, by the way. Like Cut at, at the Venetian is like world-renowned. Wolfgang Puck is like the greatest steak. I would give me Andiamo all day long. It was phenomenal. So I'm there at Andiamo. It's an Italian steakhouse. I pull open their menu, and I think there were like 
four or five steak options. There were, you know, apps. There was like the little seafood section that had mostly just like shrimp and clams, oysters. And then like a non-steak option of a handful of like chickens and salads. That was pretty well it. I mean, all things considered from an entree perspective, I think there were 10, 11 options to choose from. Now, compare that to Cheesecake Factory, where you go and you get their menu. And on the front of their menu, they have a table of contents to tell you which page, like which appendix of the menu you need to go to in order to find the category of food you want to eat. Cheesecake Factory is garbage. They're trying to do too much, trying to do way too many things. They don't know who they are, and they can't execute like they should. Andiamo does five things really well, and they do them really, 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 really well, and it was the best steak I've ever had. Now, obviously, there's other things to consider between Cheesecake, comparing it to Andiamo Steakhouse. I get it, but you get the point, right? You're trying to do too many things, and you're not good at one of them. You're not an expert. You're a, what is that stupid phrase? You're a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I think that's what we're seeing with BYU's defense this year is they're trying to be a jack of all trades and do a little bit of everything, a little bit of man coverage, a little bit of a three-man front, four-man front. Every opposing offensive coordinator that we've heard from this year has said, oh yeah, BYU likes to do a lot of things. They try to confuse you with the way they line up. They're a really complex defense. We confuse ourselves with the way we try to line up. Yes, and I think that that's the key. You know, Aaron Rodgers is talking about the Packers offense. Aaron Rodgers is, you know, he's a million years old. He's kind of a lunatic. But he's got a clear mind because of all of the ayahuasca trips that he's been on. He's thinking very, very clearly. And the one thing he wants to do with the Packer offense is simplify it. These are professional football players who all they do is football and learn a playbook. And this quarterback who's going to the Hall of Fame, arguably the most talented quarterback ever, is saying, we've got to simplify things. BYU's defense needs to simplify things in order to get better. Which flies in the face of the narrative of like I've seen people say like this is a middle school defense. This is a middle my kids middle school my kids fifth grade team runs a more complex defense. Like which is stupid. No, no, they don't. These are middle school results. I'll hear that all day long. Yeah, but it's not because it's a basic defense. It's because when you don't know what to do. I mean, think about yourself, right? Like if you go into a meeting. I'm trying to put this into like perspective, right? Balthazar's coming up with a BYU Balthazar. I missed the alliteration. I could have been BYU Balthazar this whole time. Uh, he comes, you, you walk into a meeting and you don't know what's going on. Do you like assert yourself in that meeting as like the, the all-knowing being of like, you're going to have all the opinions and the fixes? No, you kind of just like shuffle into the corner and sit quietly and hope you're not called on because you don't know what's going on. It's the same thing for these defenders, right? Like if they don't understand exactly what they should be doing in this scheme or they're confused or they're a little bit nervous, then they probably aren't as aggressive as they need to be because they're they're just trying to catch up. They're just trying to remember where they're supposed to go. Things have got to get more simple on defense. Got to get more simple. And it's we're seeing even in other schools where it's off. Like how much have you watched Tennessee this year? Uh, a few times. So if you watch Tennessee, like, so they run Josh Heupel's, he calls it the, like the super spread mm-hmm. because they literally like, you know, normally your receiver lines up like on the numbers to ha- give them room to run it out. He's like, no, we, they don't do that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like they, on the short side of the field, 
they are basically lined up on the sideline hash marks to give enough room to like create more room. And even if you watch it, they will have plays where they'll have like only two guys will go out on a route. And it's not because they're like have nine guys blocking and a super max protect. Like they will line up five wide and only have two guys go out on a route. And the other three guy receivers just like turn as if they're going to do like a bubble screen because he's like, no, we're going to attack this side of the defense. And it simplifies it to where the quarterback has two reads, either throw the first guy, the second guy, or take off running and get what you can get. And I don't want, he's like, I don't want to waste energy running my receivers, whatever out of the play and having them run to like only get tired and have to jog back. If I know that they're going to be the third or fourth read, right? Cause it's everything is, it is efficient. And that's why people call it like some people call it like a Mickey Mouse offense because they say it is too simple, but it has worked literally everywhere that he's been. It worked in the Mountain West. It worked in the American. It worked at Mizzou the two seasons he was there in the SEC, and it's working at Tennessee. And Hedden Hooker looks like a freaking Heisman finalist after he was not good at Virginia Tech, and they just when you have like it is so simple that there is just so much execution or when you look at other offenses um which i actually actually send this to i got a cop i acquired at this conference that i was at a copy of uh levy's playbook from ole miss last year and they have a whole page in there of with the same exact blocking and we hear the same thing on defense right or on offense like i remember this with a nye like Every time we ran like an inside zone with a nine, people just complained like we just run it up the gut every three times. That you know, like all we do is run it up the gut every play without seeing everything that's different because they just follow the ball, right? But on this page, there was like different. It was one. There was like a couple. There was like one way of blocking, but then there were ten different things of like how you could do like handing off the ball. It was like. The quarterback and the running back switch. They do this. They flip it and go bash where they run it the other way that it's being blocked and run it to the backside. And it was like all these different things that are very simple changes to where it was, okay, yeah, the line is blocking the same. The receivers are doing their same thing. But this is something that only the quarterback and the running back need to worry about and do different. And so it's like a tweak, whereas on our defense, we're seeing a lot of it's like whole packages. I mean, we've got 57 positions on the defensive depth chart. And then we're supposed to be shocked that guys are always out of position. I heard something about Robert and I that I've never heard before. In all the years of obviously Robert and I being at BYU and then like tangentially following him while he was at Virginia and at Arizona, I'd never heard this about Robert and I. So if if anybody's listening that can refute this, please do. I heard he doesn't have a playbook. Like his players do not get a hard copy of a playbook. They just kind of run over like like what you do in certain situations. And then as those reads come up, they go and they react. Now, I don't know if that's every position. I don't know if like the quarterback doesn't have a playbook. But uh, I guess specifically I heard wide receivers. They don't have a playbook. And it was like a source of contention um one year when a bunch of wide receivers were brought in because it was like well we don't know what we're running you just changed the play and like well yeah because you should have seen it you should have known what was going on so interesting i mean it works but i mean 
if you're going to do that. But it's also very, very simple. Yeah, right? let's, like it let's was, say that that's true, right? Let's accept that at face value. That must be a really simple offense, and holy shit, Syracuse is now like nationally ranked, right? So, interesting. Um, so, yeah, I think, yeah, alignment, too much on the menu. The menu is we need to go from the Cheesecake Factory to the, yes, the simple. The Andiamo. The Andiamo. So when we tweet out, Andiamo, because we see something simple, I hope that people know what that means. I hope. And if people ask yes. questions, then we know that they're not listeners and we can block them on Twitter. There we go. Um, let's see. Last question. So it is just now reported that Pete Thamel just tweeted out that uh, Charlie Brewer, our favorite Charlie Brewer, yeah. is going to be starting today. He's Great. been out the last couple. He's been injured, but he is back. So I just, what do you think we will see from the defense or the offense, the team today? How do you think – emotionally the team will react right because if there's if there was a shuffling you know to where the there was an announcement in a team meeting where Kalani's like I'm taking over I'm doing more here you know and guys are you know we've you know there were the couple seasons when Bronco took over the defense midseason whatever what are you expecting to see today given it's kind of it's an early kickoff it's on the east coast it's against a team that is probably amp because they want to be us and they wish they were us. So what are you expecting to see from the team today? Not what do you want to see? What are yeah. you expecting? Well, I think that the 2019 Boise game is a really good script for what we see. Now the offense isn't as injured. If, if you remember that game, like, uh, that was Baylor Romney as a freshman walk on that nobody Baylor knew. Romney and Sione Fino. Yeah, I mean, so so the offense is healthier. So I think the offense is going to do the offense's thing. But I think that the defense go back watch that game before kickoff if you want to. Like you know, I'm sure that there's uh, you know snap to tackle has that game. You can get it done in like 20 minutes. That defense is kind of what I'm expecting to see uh, today. I'm also expecting to see some of Chaz Ayu this week. He's got four games. And if you look at the schedule, the way that it's set up, he probably sits out Utah Tech because why? You know, like that's, you don't need to. And maybe he sits out one other game, but I mean, he's got four games to play. And I guess the bowl game doesn't count. So really, if he sits out Utah Tech, he's set, right? For the rest of the year. Right? The bowl game did count. No, I think the bowl game counts. I don't think it does. We don't know if the bowl game counts or not. It might but, count. If it does, then he sits out Utah Tech and you know another probably one. ECU. And yeah, then he plays Boise Stanford in the bowl game. Yeah, and if he, you know, if it doesn't count, then he sits out Utah Tech and he plays them all. But I think you're going to see him today. How much? I don't know. He hasn't played in like two years. Um, I mean, I think he's healthy, but is he in shape? That's a long. That's a long time to be away from football. But I think we're going to see some Chaz Ayu today. I don't think he's going to play safety, so everybody calm down. I also don't think he's going to play a traditional linebacker. I got a hunch he's going to play that that hybrid role, and I think that's where he shines best right now, as long as he stays in that role. The problem has never been that he's playing linebacker or safety. The problem is that he's been asked to play both, and he's doing both like on a whim, right? He wakes up one morning and he's a linebacker, only to show up at the, the SAB, and all of a sudden he's a, playing safety, and he's 20 pounds heavy and too slow. 
Like that's ridiculous. If he stays at this hybrid position, he could be really, really good there. He's very talented, ball hawk, you know, playmaker. Just let him pick a position and stay there. So I'm expecting that. And I'm expecting I'm expecting to be I'm expecting to see a lot of aggression from the defense. I mean, that's who Kalani is. People people try to simplify like the way that the coaching hierarchy works. Like it's just a reporting chart that everything rolls up to the CEO. And yeah, from like an accountability standpoint, that's true. You know, if the team sucks, the head coach is the one who's going to get fired. Like that's that's accurate. However, from a schematic and a game plan perspective, I I, I think really, and we've, I feel like we say this every year, people would be really surprised how uninvolved Kalani is with that. I asked this question last week, uh, I guess throughout this week, to our Discord server. What was Lavelle's scheme? I, I, don't, I couldn't tell you because his yeah, scheme changed a little bit with every coordinator that came in, right? What was Lavelle's defensive identity? I don't know. Whichever coordinator wanted to run, whatever that coordinator wanted to run, that's who BYU was. Now, he went and hired coaches who did similar things most of the time. He promoted from within a lot so that there was some continuity in, in the philosophy of what they're doing. But Lavelle wasn't the one who was forcing BYU to throw the ball. Lavelle started out not even throwing the ball. He brought in a coordinator and a quarterback coach who said, hey, what if we try this? And he said, yeah, great. Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's throw the ball. So they started to throw the ball, right? I mean, that's what head coaches do. Now, not every head coach is that way. Bronco certainly had a scheme. And he, you know, he had his fingers in every aspect of the defense. But on the offense, Bronco, the reason that Bronco and I got along so well for as many years as they got along is Bronco knew that he could say, hey, Anai, you're the head coach of the offense. I'm not even going to talk to you about it. Like, he had no input in what happened with the offense at BYU or at Virginia. It was Anai's show. The only thing that Bronco would do is on, you know, like questionable, are we going to punt or go for it on fourth decisions? He would make that that call. He wouldn't call the play. He would say, go. And then Anai would do his thing, right? Like, Head coaches aren't the ones that are pulling all of these strings. So from Kalani's perspective, this defensive scheme and identity and the roster and the talent, that hasn't been Kalani. It's like, not like a <clears throat> it's not like a CEO relationship. It's almost like each of the it, it's like it's not like he's the CEO. It's more like there's two companies that are owned like two subsidiaries yeah he's the owner of the umbrella company tuyaki and a rod are the ceos of their own company right and he's like the board member it's he's the head of the board of the umbrella company that is like report to me how things are going but you are supposed to be doing this if it's not running well i will find somebody else to run it but I'm not going to meddle in your day-to-day. Yeah, the CEO of a mega company, right? Do you think the CEO of Walmart has any idea like where in the back office or the back room they store the extra boxes of cereal? He has no clue where any of that stuff comes from. You think the CEO of Walmart has any idea like where the pickup places are at the location in Syracuse, Utah? Like where the parking lot sets the designated pickup orders? Like, no, he has no clue. He hires people who do that, and they go and they do that, right? That's Kalani. He hires coordinators to coordinate. 
he hires coordinators to coordinate so that he doesn't have to be a coordinator. If he was had to be a coordinator and had to implement his own scheme and his own game plans and do all of that every week all the time, he wouldn't hire coordinators. He would hire himself. We got to think about things a little bit, you know, logically. And that's logically how it works. Now, ultimately, he's accountable for the performance of the team. However, this notion that it's his scheme and he, like, signs off on drop eight. No, he signs off on Elisa Tuiaki, and Tuiaki goes and implements drop eight. Tuiaki didn't go and say, hey, Kalani, I'd like to... I'd like to drop eight this week. I'd like to, you know, I, I think that would be the, the, the game plan that I would choose. And then Kalani breaks out this rubber stamp and says, game plan approved. That's not how this works. Not how any of that works. He says, hey, E, you're the defense. Go do it. I've got to go do a million other things as the head coach. So ask me if you have questions. That's how that relationship works. This week, it's Kalani running the show. And Kalani... Is much more aggressive by nature than Eliza. So I think we're going to see uh, a more aggressive defense from BYU. I'm curious, like, this doesn't matter really, but I'm curious, like, is Kalani going to be there with, like, a call sheet on the sideline? And then, mm. like, Ed is, like, the guy walking around as the head coach. Is Kalani still the head coach and he's designated play calling, but he's – given somebody a call sheet. Uh, I'm curious to see how that's going to work out. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, that will be, um, that will be something that is very interesting to see. And I don't, I wonder. I, I don't feel like you've talked enough about this hat. The, the hat is like, is wild. So it's got uh, beads, man. It's perfect for your new Orleans life. Yes, the sorry, my wife just texted me asking where which field my daughter was on for her soccer game today. Ah, um, you don't want to know what I had to do to earn these beads, Garrett. Oh, I I don't want you. I'm glad that you already have them. Um, the so, yeah, I think we will see a difference in tenacity and kind of amped up, and so that's really what I'm wanting to see the most is. The our guys fired up, flying to the ball. Do we look less confused about where to be? And I don't even really care about the final score because, like, the final score of a game is a lagging indicator, right? Like, it's not the score doesn't it tells you kind of what happened, but it doesn't tell you what the inputs were. And there can be times where you outplay them, but then freak things happen and you end up losing, whatever. And so, there's I want to see. You know, guys getting after it, like, less. I want to see our linebackers play downhill for the first time we've seen all season. Like, too many times, play is snapped, ball is snapped, we start the play flat-footed, don't know where we're going. It's like, I just want to see the movement. Like, and if that means, like, if that means we lose because we gave up a big play because a safety tried to jump the ball because he was like, hey, I can get a pick, and then he whiffs and the guy catches it and houses it, I don't care. Right. Like I'll be annoyed, but like I would rather at this point rather see just like pure aggression and getting after it on defense rather than just kind of the ho hum mentality that we've seen. Yeah. Every week since the Baylor game. And and so that's what you know, I just I want to see the emotion and guys getting amped and going out and trying to like hard to make plays and taking the risks, you know. And if it you bust, you bust and it is what it is. But like yeah, I just want to see that see the attitude adjustment. 
It's like um, fantasy football, you know, like you have your draft, you think everything's going to go great. And then your team kind of sucks, or maybe you have an injury. There's some people that refuse to make trades in fantasy football because they're afraid they're going to get it wrong. And so they just let the team that they drafted dwindle and die, try to pick up people off the waiver wire, and it doesn't work for them. Go down swinging, make some trades, try to make something happen. If you go down, you go down. But if you don't do anything, you're going down anyway. That's the mentality that I want to see today. And here's the thing. Uh, I think BYU wins by 17. Like I, I don't think this game's going to be particularly close. I really don't. And this is uh, kind of similar. I mean, it is very similar vibes to uh, you know to what we said about USF in Week One, where it was like this game is could be dicey. They do have the talent there. They've got an experienced quarterback who transferred from somewhere else. Like they've got, you know, they have talent at their skill positions. If they're amped up, they could come out and get us, and then you know it becomes one of those weird games where you're fighting and you're annoyed because you feel like you should be crushing them, but you're not. So then you start like you start thinking about it every time you tee off, and then you slice it, you know, three holes over every play, you know, because you're thinking about it too much and getting in your head, whatever. But I think this is the game. I think we will see. The offense is not going to have a hard time moving the ball. They're going to play well. I think you know Jaron's shoulder was banged up. Last week, again, we saw it, but he was still playing. He's got another week of recovery under him. He should be better. We should see, you know, the new bodies maybe that have, you know, a more consistent defensive lineup. And if we see that attitude change on defense, then I think, yeah, I think 14 to 17 is not an unrealistic um, unrealistic final score. The line it opened, we were seven-point favorites. Yep. Right. I haven't seen if it. I haven't looked to see if it, it was moved at six and a half last I looked, and I would smash that line this week. I, I, the only the only thing I really want is just give Chris Brooks the damn ball. Yes, give Brooks. I want him to have twenty plus carries. And I mean, kind of the sub thing. We've kind of seen that at the running back position too. It's like guys don't get enough time. Although Brooks, Peeney, and Miles Davis, he's still hurt. Um, I haven't heard any update on that, that he, uh, you know, those three, like they're all talented, right. But it's just, we got to pick a guy and feed him. Even if it's, I want it to be Chris Brooks, but even if it's Lopini, like I don't care. Just, I want to see a running back get 20 carries. And, and, you know, and I agree. And Kalani has that mindset and you've heard it from him, right? For the last two or three weeks that Puka has been back, he's talked in post game about like, we didn't give Puka the ball enough. We didn't give Puka the ball enough. Why does he want to give Puka the ball? Because he knows that Puka's his best player, right? And that's the mindset that Kalani has as a head coach, is he wants his best players to be the ones getting the ball. He wants his best players to be the ones making a play. And I think we're going to see that kind of spread throughout the entire team today. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we will see that. I, I do want to see Chris Brooks. He is the best running back on the team. Yeah. Give him the ball more. And then just like just play a complete game. I think we've been wanting it. Honestly, last week on offensively, we played a complete game. And played well against an SEC defense. I mean, they're not not a good one. A, but not a good SEC one. But they still have the talent, right? Like we still we played a good, like we played a complete game and played well. 
on offense, just like completely awful on defense. And so, yeah, I want to see that difference and just like see that, see the guys amp flagger out and just like, you know, like I want to see us, I want to see them give them hell, right? Like they need to give them hell and just actually like get after it. Do you get to watch the game from the hotel? Uh, I am going to the airport, and I bought a lounge ticket, so I'm going to post up in the lounge and just watch it on my computer. Um, but the it was kind of in a weird thing. I debated. So two Memphis is playing at Tulane today, and it kicks off at the same time. My flight doesn't leave till 6.30, so I was like, I could go to like the first half, but then it was like, well, then I got to find somewhere to leave my suitcase because i can't obviously can't take that in the stadium so then like i was like that's too much effort whatever so after we finish recording i'm gonna get this uploaded and then i will have to check out and then i will go i don't know probably find there's a sports bar around the corner from my ho- my hotel so i'll go there for a little bit and then i will catch my uber and i will check in i will go through security four hours early for my flight so i can yeah, sit perfect. down post up and watch the cookies there you go so okay. Jeff, travel safe. Next week, what? Yes, you travel safe. You, uh, do, I don't want to know how you got those beads, but do what you need to do with those beads. And I, I'm, we're gonna win today. It's gonna be a comfortable win. We will uh, do our post game show tomorrow night. We haven't had one of those in a few weeks because we've all been depressed or traveling. And until tomorrow night, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>